Yes, I think that um, Boston stands out because at least for entrepreneurship, that's the field that I cover, people are really willing to help young entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I hear that feedback all the time because uh, at Boston now we cover a lot of early stage startups uh, and personally early stage startups uh, is uh, what I really enjoy most reporting about. Mm -hmm. And I hear this feedback all the time from student founders, from people that are starting uh, or maybe are uh, past the seed stage around Series A level. They say I couldn't have done this without the help of mentors uh, or people that I found in the Boston community. And uh, they usually start, they end, they end the interviews by thanking all the people. And they mm -hmm. ask me, can, can you add uh, a line in the story, say that I couldn't have done this without this person? And that really strikes to me. I mean, I think that what I see in this community, in this entrepreneurship community, is uh, the willingness to help. Zach from Boston Speaks Up. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. I just finished recording with Lucy Maffei from Bostono. She's the tech reporter over at bostono.com and really amazing conversation. Lucy is an amazing woman. She grew up in Tuscany, Italy. She didn't know English five years ago and here she is um, in Boston, sort of really leading the charge on covering early stage startups from arguably the biggest tech community in America. Tons of interesting travels that she's made from Tuscany to Boston. Lucy spent time in Chicago. She studied journalism at Northwestern, did an internship at TechCrunch. She then found herself after school in DC where she was working at NPR on some really amazing audio journalism, which included some really important President Trump reporting. And then she went off to Boston. She got the position as tech journalist at bostono.com. And that's sort of how I ran into Lucy moving back to Boston from LA. I really have appreciated the lens through which she's looked at the Boston tech community, but with more of a global worldview. And also just was really refreshing to hear how much Lucy adores Boston and how much she's enjoyed acclimating to the city in less than two years. Great. And with that, here's the conversation with Lucy. Enjoy. So having moved back to Boston, which isn't necessarily like a media technology city, I beg to disagree. I love. I would love I, for you I, I to disagree. I, yeah. I mean, I uh, I am a tech reporter, and uh, in Boston, I uh, I work for a digital publication, and we know how fast-paced uh, digital media can be. Uh, but on my hand, I have to say that I have more tech stories that I that I can cover every day, which is a great problem to have for a journalist. But I think it really speaks on. Uh, how vibrant the Boston ecosystem um, in tech is, yeah. uh, at least from my perspective. At least. Sure. I, I have never never had a month where I was like, oh, no, what am I going to write? Yeah. What am I going to do? I need yeah. to write a story sample for today. Never had yeah. a problem. Right. And, and actually, what I mean specifically is 
entertainment industry mm-hmm. technology. Okay. So from a technology perspective, I'm oftentimes the person like you, Lucy, having arguments with people in New York, explaining to them why Boston is the second most powerful tech community mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. Just look at venture capital per capita. Mm-hmm. Boston's easily yes. easily Definitely. stronger mm-hmm. than New York, and that's just quantifiably you know, provable. Um, but having moved back here, being a, an entertainment guy, working a lot with TV networks and the, and the technologies they're adopting, mm-hmm. and digital publishers and the technologies they're adopting, and brands and the technologies they're adopting, there are companies here in that space. as Clipped out in mm-hmm. Davis Square. There's some social listening companies like Sprinkler. Mm-hmm. There certainly are companies in, in, at the intersection of media and technology, but it's not necessarily the strength of Boston, or so it seems to me. Um, but perhaps, but well, it yeah. has been said that uh, Boston is really, I mean, with the cool, uh, I mean, and the and the um, the, the the kids at, at Harvard or MIT, although not all in those uh, special grade schools, but with all those great kids, are really smart. Uh, there's there's a really great hub in Boston for analytics, for machine learning, for artificial intelligence. So for all the analysts, for software companies, as I said, mm-hmm. uh, in my perspective, uh, I have more that I can cover as yeah. a journalist. With that being said, I will say that, mm, yes, it's true that there's there are not many social media companies in Boston and not many media companies. Uh, although it's kind of funny because Facebook was founded here mm-hmm. and then it, it went to uh, to Silicon Valley, so that was starting actually was at Harvard or where Mark Zuckerberg was. So um, at least in my coverage, I would say that I started working and writing about tech for Bostino uh, almost two years ago, and right now I probably had two or three stories about social media startups, and one was uh, kind of at the intersection between social media and entertainment and media, uh, most probably, but those numbers are nothing compared to artificial intelligence and machine learning and all the other kind of really heavy tech startups that I cover. Interesting. I want to get into your background soon, but kind of continuing down that path, I was talking to some friends in, in tech in Boston about how Boston, there is plenty of tech to cover. Like mm-hmm. you can make the argument that, sure. but mm-hmm. there should be five of you at Boston. Oh, there we could should. Be, you we're could only have, two. We're yeah. only two, but <laughs> yeah. we, there, I think we have several There could be several of you. Yeah. <laughs> you could have three super um, focused competitors and you could still have a thriving business with all the tech to cover in Boston. Um, there's There's so much tech to be covered. And some of the tech and what legacy tech has come out of Boston has been a lot of like underlying, like really important infrastructure technology, i.e. cryptography, mm-hmm. blockchain. And I was talking to, to Clem from Techstars and he has a cryptography background. What a perfect background to have as we're seeing this blockchain um, reckoning, if you will, where all the, the craze of altcoins and cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. is kind of deflated, but what's left is still a huge market and tons of promise for true cryptographically uh, secure true blockchain businesses to come and create sort of the the infrastructure for the next type of transaction that will impact industry across industry. So 
it seems to me Boston has a particular opportunity where it's right now coding the future of the web and the internet. Um, and I'm just curious, just specifically double clicking on like cryptography and blockchain, what you've seen and what you're seeing. And then tangential to that, artificial intelligence is the other thing that I see being very strong here, which you alluded to, you alluded to cognitive computing and machine learning. But it seems to me those technologies are actually some of the most important technologies of our time. And I'm seeing, and ha we have seen for a while, some of the biggest leaders in those industries really sprout up and build things out of Boston. Well, I would say that artificial intelligence is really, is really used across, uh, I mean, you think about a, se a sector, and I bet there's a startup that I know that is using artificial intelligence to improve that sector. Um, since I started at Bostino, I probably had uh, um, the artificial intelligence-powered platform for legal contracts. I've had an artificial intelligence uh, platform for uh, fundraising. I've had artificial intelligence used to uh, better um, making between jobs, matchmaking between job seekers and employers. So I've had artificial intelligence, basically, I should probably write a list. We are on one platform using artificial intelligence for X. And then you can list all those sector, sectors, and there's probably someone in Boston working and using artificial intelligence to improve the sector. With that said, in blockchain, uh, it's still, uh, it's still uh, I would say, a little early to understand what, that, what the impact of blockchain is going to be. Uh, there's definitely, uh, as always, in Boston, really great enthusiasm about this technology. Uh, I would say it's not really... <laughs> I don't want to say it's a hype or a fad, but I really haven't seen a specific trend, at least right now, in uh, uh, blockchain development in Boston. I know there's a, there's a startup called Flipside Crypto, for example, that, and they provide uh, um, actionable investment for people who want to invest in, uh, um, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Uh, there's uh, the only, that, that's the closest name that comes to mind. I also know there's a startup uh, at Harvard uh, called Encrypt, mm -hmm. and they're using blockchain to actually help journalists and to provide encrypted communication for journalists, for people working in media. So actually there's another one uh, startup that is uh, actually at the, con at the convergence between blockchain and uh, media. So that, it's not true that startups in Boston are not really well-versed in media. With that said, just to summarize, I, I can't see, at least right now, I can't, I can't, I'm not able to point out to any specific trends in blockchain development in Boston. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. Had you, have you heard of the company Votes? Votes? It's like V-O-A-T-Z. Yes, the name rings a bell. Uh, what do they do? They're interesting because... They don't build themselves as a blockchain company. They they do have like there's it's a it's all ledger based it's a ledger based voting system. Mm -hmm. But they really they build themselves as a secure secure safe privacy first voting technology to help in particular the oh, yeah. third world have uh, honest and true transparent voting. Mm -hmm. And that's a sort of example that of of blockchain, early blockchain, that's like very easy to digest, I think, for people. Yes. Um, and I think that was one that came out of Boston. Mm, 
I should have checked my notes, but yeah, that is, uh, I hope it doesn't end up like we, uh, like I read, for example, The Circle, uh, the novel by the Eggers, uh, and uh, there's, uh, there's this really huge media company called The Circle, and they say, oh, everyone should vote, uh, and because, uh, um, and use, using social media to vote, because uh, uh, that's the easiest way for people to do it, uh, and that way um, everything can be so secured uh, and we can be aware of, of voters' privacy. In the end, it can, turns out that, uh, at, least in, um, at least in the novel, that, uh, um, that uh, they actually manipulate voting. Uh, even though they had this really big pretense uh, of uh, um, making things better and more uh, more accountable for uh, corporations uh, using voting systems based on blockchain. So, cautionary tale. Yeah. Cautionary tale. No more than that. <laughs> Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Cool. So we kind of launched into it, and I'm going to actually step back now. It's kind of it's good to get the fast twitch muscles yes. going. <laughs> I'm just talking about topics and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to kind of step back and kind of do a little intro, and I want to talk about like some of the questions and get to know you a little better. Of course. Better. Let's do um, it. How do you pronounce your last name? Maffei. Maffei. Yes. Cool. Uh, I know it, and I did the E and the I at the end. It can mm -hmm. be uh, tricky for yeah. an American audience of speakers, so that is actually Maffei. And uh, when I got my degree at Northwestern, uh, when they called my name, yeah. uh, they, say, they said Lucia Maffei. Maffei? Maffei. Yeah, <laughs> was a funny yeah. one. Didn't get um, that hard. A. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I should. I should have given you my guess because coming from an Italian family with all types of different surnames, mm -hmm. um, it's it screamed out to me as as Lucia Maffei. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. It's. Um, uh, I I, yeah. I usually don't get asked yeah. a lot about my last name, and when people ask me about my name, I usually I usually say I go by Lucy. Yeah. Because it's easier for everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so I'm Zach, Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up, and I'm here with Lucy Maffei. Correct. Yeah. That's a really good one. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. My my last name, my entire family, just goes by Servideo. Mm -hmm. But as an Italian, would you like to guess how it's supposed to be pronounced? I don't need to guess. I would say Zach Servideo. Correct. Mm -hmm. It's Latin for to serve God, mm -hmm. which I didn't find out until my 20s when one of my smart friends from Boston University pointed out that I did not pronounce my last name correctly. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for you to, to come and hang out with us in studio today. My pleasure. And having recently moved back to Boston, uh, fun fun fact about Boston. Oh, I met my wife at a Boston O meetup. Oh no! <laughs> Six years ago. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, probably oh, yeah. closer. To, probably almost seven years ago, and uh, I go way back with Chase and Greg and Kevin and the founders. And um, so Boston O holds a near and dear place in my heart. We, <laughs> we're glad to hear that. I should say that our events are really really great. I don't know if everyone could say if I met my future. A future spouse at the Boston event, but we definitely hope so. So, yeah, yeah that's a great story to hear. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> and it's been really nice being back and getting to um, read about Boston technology through the lens of Lucy Maffei. Mm -hmm. And I've appreciated uh, just a bit of digital correspondence with you, and I appreciate you coming to the studio today. But as I started unpacking a bit of your background, I was really interested in learning more. So you grew up in Tuscany. Correct. So I was born and raised uh, in Pisa, Italy, which is really 
it's it's well known for the city of the leaning tower and uh, um, i i mean i love to say usually when i say uh, i'm from pisa uh, people start doing start doing this so <laughs> this particular i don't know if you want to describe the the, the, the what I'm doing. Uh, You're like holding you. up a building. Exactly. That is children. That's, uh, that is really, that is really <laughs> Pisa. That's how Pisa yeah. is famous uh, and how it's well known in the world. And yeah, I was born, in, born and raised there and, and then I went to school. Uh, um, I went to Milan. I worked uh, uh, two years in Milan and then I moved to the States in 2016. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the two years that you spent in Milan working... Were you a freelance journalist? Um, I was actually working and going to school. I did my, uh, I went to journalism school, journalism school for the first time in Milan, and I was freelancing a little, a little on the side. And uh, uh, yes, Milan holds a really special place in my heart. It's actually one of my favorite uh, Italian cities. And uh, yes, I was a. It was. It's called uh, uh, Walter Tobagi, Italian. Uh, it's um. Journalism school. It's part of the University of Milan, and uh, I've learned a lot. But to be honest, uh, I actually felt the need to focus more on business reporting and economics reporting, and it was especially because of technology is part mm-hmm. of business reporting. So that's why I decided to uh, apply and to go one more time, I should say, to journalism school, but in the US this time. Great, mm-hmm. great. And I want to ask you about Northwestern, but we're not leaving Italy yes. yet. No, okay. When, we were, when, I, when I sent you your questions for one-word answers, I asked mm-hmm. you about your childhood, and your response was carrots. Yes. <laughs> Tell me carrots. more. Uh, yes, I knew it was, uh, um, I know that could uh, uh, lead to some questions, this, but um, was it actually when I was a child, uh, I was a really picky eater. My mother was completely desperate uh, about the fact that I was not eating much, and there was a time in my childhood around uh, three to four years old, and uh, at that time, there was a time that I, used, that I used to eat only carrots, only carrots, every carrots at every meal. So breakfast, Lucy, uh, what do you want for breakfast? Carrots. What do you want for lunch? Carrots. What do you want for dinner? Carrots. And my mother was completely desperate. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a daughter. I have a rabbit in the house. What should I do? And uh, um, yeah, so I mean, I was a really picky, picky eater, and then. Uh, because I, um, my mother was so desperate and she started cooking so well for me, I actually um, uh, closed the, the carrot era of my childhood. Wow. <laughs> so you didn't turn orange, did you? No, yet. <laughs> and I actually have myopia, so all those carrots didn't yeah. help much my, uh, my sight. But yes, and I still, have, I still eat them, eat them a lot. <laughs> for for those of you that can't see Lucy right now, because this is a podcast, she's wearing glasses. So yes, those those car- wear glasses all the time. Those carrots didn't help yes. her eyesight apparently. Um, for me, it was apples. <laughs> yes. My mother would say, "What do you want for lunch, Zachary? Yeah. Apples. What do you want for dinner? Apples." So it was a lot of apples, applesauce, variations of, of apples. It's a phase. It's a phase. I mean, I think the sugar probably helps Definitely. too. Now I'm uh, I have a. 16-month-old daughter, and all she wants to eat is fruit, and she's a firecracker. <laughs> good to know. So good the, to know. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, I want to talk about toady potency. Okay. That's another, so uh, I, had to, I must admit, so I asked you what drew you to pursue a journalism career in America, yes. 
and you said totipotency. Mm -hmm. And I had to look it up to double check because that's when a cell kind of can become other cells. But yes, you explain a, it to me yes, and why so that was your answer. Totipotency is when a cell actually is at its full potential. So it's uh, right after mitosis, a cell can become basically any kind of cells in um, in our bodies. So there's uh, this cell that could become part of your heart or part of your brain or part of your skin. So it has this full potential of options yeah. and opportunities ahead of her. And I thought it was a really great metaphor uh, for my case because I actually, when I was uh, um, in, in school, uh, I was okay and I was good in many, in many subjects, uh, but I really wasn't sure about what was uh, the thing that I was best at. That would bring the best out of yes, you. Uh, yeah. because I loved actually doing so many, many things. I loved writing. I yeah. was good at, at math. I I had a thing for acting for a while. Yeah. So I really, like, finding a specific talent was not easy for me. And uh, with journalism, I thought I found, and I still think I found the perfect answer, because with journalism, you can do so much. You can learn so much every day about people, about technology, about the, the tools that you can use every day about your job. So I think that that's a great metaphor. Um, being a journalist is like having always been a cell that has its full potential, because you can do, you can do, uh, you can become basically um any, any anything you want to become. You want to become an expert in business, you can do that. You want to write about science, so you, you can do that. You want to uh, go to television and be an anchor, you can do that. I think it's uh, it's an amazing job, and I'm still completely in love with it. That's day. beautiful. Mm -hmm. You're almost a bit of a chameleon. You can kind of take mm -hmm. on the role that you need to take on to and best tell exactly, the story. Exactly, and you can learn about different subjects every day. That's yeah. uh, something that it's really. I mean, I'm really passionate about it. I would. Uh, I can. I can stop talking about that. And I think that being a, a journalist is actually a way to be in something different every day. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorite media companies, actually, one of my favorite. It's a non-profit in in based in Los Angeles, but it's global. It's called Explore.org, mm -hmm. and it's over a hundred live cameras all around the world exposing remote areas of nature mm -hmm. for people to just watch nature in places mm -hmm. that they probably won't get to go. Um, ironically, I got to go to one of them. I got to go up to the Arctic and hang out with the southernmost population of polar bears mm -hmm. through an wow. explore.org mm -hmm. project. But you go to www.explore.org and there's shark cam and you can see sharks underwater and there's, there's polar bear cam and there's brown bear cam. It's all these cameras. But their motto is never stop learning. Mm -hmm. And for me, it, that's just like the perfect media sort of tagline for what media puts out and also what uh, journalists, reporters, media go to work to do every day mm -hmm. is to never stop learning and then never stop sharing. That's a really important part of the job. And I think uh, all that, I, that a journalist is, is basically his uh, brains. So his, uh, uh, his skills and his uh, analytical skills and his ability to make connections. It's uh, the books he, he read and the amount of knowledge he has about the subject. And it's also the kind of connections that he or she has. And, all the, and in this amazing mix, it's, um, I'm having fun every day with my job. So That's I, wonderful. Yeah, so I would never, never um, leave. Great. Well, mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about the 
the stubbornness that brought you yes. to, North, to Northwestern. Yes, yes. Let's, let's talk do about, about that. It. <laughs> so it's more about the stubbornness of uh, going to journalism uh, school twice, uh, which has been a really, <laughs> a really great journey. But in my case, uh, it made sense uh, because journalism uh, school in Italy was a completely different experience from journalism uh, school in the U.S. In Italy, I actually it was great because I I had the chance to proved so many different things, so many platforms. I tried uh, radio, I tried TV, I tried reporting, I tried all old school uh, newspaper, newspaper and paper-based uh, journalism. And so it was a great experience for me to learn where I was good at. I, for example, I learned a lot of radio and a lot of podcasts and where I'm not really great at, which is television in my case. So it was a great learning experience. In the US, I already had... Uh, knowledge about what were my uh, strong points and weak points. So when, in this really intense program that I did at Northwestern, I already knew in advance uh, what I wanted to focus on. So I think that the two experiences really worked well together. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's when I remember, your name was familiar to me when I was reading Boston O coverage that you were doing, because I remembered you had byline some stuff at TechCrunch. Correct. Tech and that Crunch. was in 2016, Correct. you were at Northwestern? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. TechCrunch was my uh, my first internship in the U.S., and uh, it was actually, um, my as an internship, it was my final project for uh, um, the last quarter at Northwestern at my master's degree. Amazing. So um, I was based in Chicago. And it was a remote internship. I also had to complete a few projects uh, for school. But it was a really great reporting internship, yeah. meaning that I got a lot of bylines and uh, reporting and calls and interviews and all the good stuff that, it, that comes with being a reporter. That's cool. Um, I have some questions about that to sort of like juxtapose Chicago with Boston. But before we get mm -hmm. to that, I'm just curious. So what... What brought you from, did you go directly from Chicago to Boston? Uh, no, I actually had, I went to D.C. first. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm a really East Coast girl. And uh, so after um, wrapping up my program at uh, Northwestern, I was still looking for an internship and for full-time uh, uh, employment. But the, the thing that actually happened is uh, that I was accepted into this uh, uh, NPR internship program. And uh, since I, really, I knew in advance and I've been knowing that for a while that I wanted to do radio and business combined. So the NPR opportunity made completely, completely sense for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're the best. Mm -hmm. So what did you do at NPR? So I was an intern at the business desk. So I actually did... Uh, um, Mainly two things. So I was writing stories and supporting business supporters there. So the great stuff that I was really passionate about. And uh, I also um, contributed to um, a new beat that NPR was establishing called uh, President Trump's Conflicts of Interest. So I was a reporter on that team and I learned a lot about because really conflicts of interest are really at the convergence of uh, business politics and Ethics, uh, numbers, storytelling, you can do basically, it's a really, it was a really amazing bit and uh, so actually I did those, uh, those kind of things and it ended up uh, working with other reporters so we published uh, a really great, uh, I shouldn't say that myself, but uh, we published a really, a really um, comprehensive overview of all President Trump's conflict of interest uh, at the time in 2017, right after um, 
the election. So um, it was an amazing experience. Oh. <laughs> your professionalism and your humility is noted, and thank you for that thank sort of journal you know. journalism and contribution. I can say for you mm -hmm. that is a great way to dedicate time in your life to that sort of important reporting. So, how long were you at NPR, and then from NPR for, uh, from DC? I was in NPR um, for four months, and then uh, um, I still knew that I wanted uh, to do a, that. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, um, I couldn't leave technology reporting because that was really was I really I really was passionate about in business and specifically technology reporter reporting was the reason that I moved from from Italy. So. I uh, was looking for, uh, also I knew that my, uh, my internship at NPR couldn't last forever, so I wanted to do this thing, maybe at a local level, because I'm a reporter. So I stumbled into uh, the Bostino website, and uh, I actually noticed that one of, the, um, one of the people that were reporting for the website had an, what sounded to me like an Italian name. So I was really curious to know uh, who is this person who was uh, reporting for Bostino, who had this Italian name. Uh, I got in touch with that person, and uh, she actually told me that uh, Bostino was looking for another reporter. So it was a, a really amazing and astonishing coincidence. Serendipitous so moment imagine, right there. <laughs> imagine like that. So I sent my resume through this person, and I was uh, lucky, enough, lucky enough to be accepted. So I moved again. Great. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2017? That was uh, uh, April 2017, yes. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. So we're a year and a half in? Year and a half in, almost two years, yes. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. What are the most, I mean, we talked a bit in the one-word answers about differences and similarities maybe between Boston and Chicago, you could throw DC in there. One mm -hmm. of the things you mentioned in, in, in an answer was mentors. Your take as a transplant in mm -hmm. Boston, having been there almost two years, but that one of your big takeaways from being in DC, Chicago, Boston, we're not talking about other really small, we're talking about bigger cities than yes. Boston, mm -hmm. um, but Boston certainly, and arguably, but I think we would agree, Boston being the biggest tech city of those three, you see a big advantage being in Boston for entrepreneurs is mentorship, which is yes. super yes. refreshing to hear. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's refreshing to share with listeners. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of insight that I want to express to more people because the misconception of Bostonians is that they're insular, they're not friendly, I, they're not helpful. No, I want to say that out loud. Sorry for interrupting you. No, but I, need to, I need to say this. It's not true. It's not true. At least Thank in my you. experience, my God, I... It drives I me nuts. I'm a native Bostonian. You know, I love no, helping there's people another story. I There's a story it. that I can tell you about this. So my parents uh, visited this summer uh, from Italy, and they stayed uh, with me for 10 days. And it was their first time in Boston. And uh, at the end of those, those uh, 10 days, I asked my mom, uh, what do you think about Boston and Bostonians? And she, she told me, oh, they are so kind. They're always so kind. Maybe you ask for them for help on the street, or maybe you don't know what train you should, what direction you should go. You ask for help, and everybody here is willingness. has this willingness to help. And uh, I completely agree with her. Thank and you. Uh, at least in my experience, that's what I found here, a really welcoming community. Beautiful. That's so refreshing to hear. Mm -hmm. It's reaffirming to how I feel, mm -hmm. because I've 
have befriended so many wonderful people over the years that are native Bostonians, are transplants, have come, have gone, and they're like the best people, salt of the earth, mm -hmm. right? It goes the saying. And it's one of the reasons my wife and I moved back here. <laughs> it's, there's, a, there's a general realness and appreciation and, and encouragement from your community for you to do well. Um, and I'm not saying that doesn't exist elsewhere. I'm just saying it exists really strongly in Boston. Mm -hmm. um, so that's beautiful and refresh, refreshing to hear. And that is the point. That is actually, if you were to sum up the point of Boston Speaks Up and having done a couple of these podcasts now, mm -hmm. what you just said is like, that is, that is the top sort of moment that I've had on this podcast thus far, which is just hearing that your mother came to Boston and had 10 days. 10 never days, been, and that was never been here. And her takeaway was, I'm so glad that you're here because those people are kind. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> cool. Well, maybe I'll get to meet your mom someday. I hope so. She, I hope so. If she needs tips and recommendations on venturing out to the suburbs, <laughs> I'm your guy. Yes, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> so, um, so great. So let's, let's talk a bit more about what it's been like for almost the last couple of years now at Boston O., I had looked at your bio, I'd noticed education technology was important to you. You, you mentioned ESL, English, uh, English as a second language. Correct. Uh, talk to me more about that, what you see from the Boston community, maybe what you don't see, but why you see it as so critically important to probably not just Boston, but America and more broadly the world. Well, I would say that um, I... Um, as a reporter, I have this, uh, and I had this uh, uh, huge obstacle in front of me when I decided to move to the States. Uh, um, reporting and journalism is part of communication, so communication skills are essential for every prof professional, but of course uh, for reporters, uh, for journalism are uh, inherently crucial. So um, the, the reason why EdTech is so important to me is that I, uh, when I decided, okay, I want to do this seriously, I want to move to the States and be a reporter there, I had to, uh, to become proficient in, proficient in a second language, in English, and uh, that was something that I was definitely, uh, five years ago, I was not at this level, so I looked online. And the, the most important thing is uh, when you speak in a second language is that uh, you have to talk, you have to speak, because that's the hardest part. That's, uh, you can read a lot of, uh, a lot of books, uh, and if they're easy to find, you can watch movies uh, and uh, even TED Talks for free on the web, and they, they're really great for uh, listening skills. But then you have to talk, you have to speak, and then you need a person who is actually able to speak with you and correct correct your pronunciation, your accent, uh, and uh, your, uh, your um, uh, speaking skills. So I went online and then I found this uh, really great service called Fluentify, and it's a platform uh, that actually keep you, um, puts you in touch with uh, um, English teachers all over the world. You can practice uh, uh, the American accent, you can practice the Australian accent, you can practice the UK uh, all the UK accents, and for me it was really a great thing, and the price was affordable, and for me that I was in Pisa, and uh, I didn't have access to American speakers, it was such a great, uh, a great fun, it was like, oh my god, this uh, really, really works for me. So I think that that personal experience uh, uh, translated uh, into 
this uh, awareness of the fact that people that want to learn and improve their skills and need, uh, need help. And that's why I really think that EdTech is so important to me on a broader level, on a broader yeah. level, not only for, uh, not only for um, uh, English as a second language uh, um, skills, uh, but also for any kind of uh, um, learning need, needs that can be out there. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I have this vision in my head of my daughter, who's only 16 months, but when she's 16 and she's just in high school, but she has aspirations of living in Italy or living in Spain, mm -hmm. and she's in a virtual reality headset, and she's sitting at a cafe in Paris mm -hmm. practicing French with the waiter mm -hmm. and a friend. And I'm curious if you think I'm crazy, um, but for me, when I think... Uh, because recently, actually, there's a lot of, uh, we're in the trough of dis disillusionment mm -hmm. for virtual reality. But for me, VR seems to be the vehicle through which what you just expressed, you could be in Pisa, mm -hmm. but you could be in headset and you could be in Boston or Chicago or D.C. or the Valley or L.A. Mm -hmm. And in simulated experiences with Americans practicing your English. Mm -hmm. And seems to me that would be a really good ed tech model. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I hope that it's coming because I would love to purchase that for my daughter and myself. Well, the thing with that, uh, I think uh, any sort of ed tech is that you really cannot avoid uh, personal human co contact with teachers. I mean, you can have the, the greatest artificial intelligence platform. You can have the greatest um, virtual reality platform. Those are all great things. Mm -hmm. But nothing can help actually um, the uh, the help that a teacher can give you when you need it. Mm -hmm. A real teacher, a real person that can understand you, and um, at least, of course, not only for for uh, for um, uh, foreign language speaking, but anything that has to do with maybe math skills or um, coding skills. Also, uh, nothing beats humans. Yeah. Completely agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So question for you about covering the tech beat in Boston. Yes. I'm curious, like you had mentioned that you really are interested in scoops. What tech, what tech <laughs> journalist isn't? Well, <laughs> well, there actually the question was, uh, um, what is about early stage startups uh, in general the most interested you? I was, uh, uh Really, I had mixed feelings about my response because yes, of course, uh, journalists uh, want to get scoops. That's why that's why we are out there. Um, but I think that, mm, but it's not that I don't care about early early stage startups of the topic because you can get scoop, scoops in any topic. In this specific topic, early stage startups, uh, I love the fact uh, that early early stage startups uh, have uh, this great storytelling potential. And usually, when you interview the founders uh, of an early stage startup, so they really they have a story and they have a problem that they want to share, they want to talk about, and their uh, their story is really fresh. It's and a bit raw. It's not yes, yeah. and it's not all. In, it didn't become already a narrative because right now we know the narrative and the story of many companies that are out there, like the Amazon narrative or the Facebook narrative. The, the guy in the in the college dorm and invented Facebook and everything. So it, it almost uh, it sounds so stiff, so stiff to me. Uh, instead, uh, um, early stage startups usually are uh, 
that's when the fun happens. So that's when the fun, funny things, funny things happen, and. Uh, uh, so that's why I was so mm. conflicted about the fact of you putting scoop out Interesting. there as my word. Yeah. The other word would have been uh, uh, storytelling. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and actually storytelling is kind of, you're, that word is in line with how I'm thinking, Like, which is what happens too with one word answers, which is a challenge. I appreciate you playing that game. <laughs> and it seems to me, which makes perfect sense, you love, like, like I love, I've always been more on the... Um, marketing and PR side of early stage mm-hmm. startups, but I love getting, you have great founders solving a really big problem and there's, and their and their story is like, com, like the opposite of honed. Mm-hmm. It is all over the place and early storytellers, whether you're on like, especially if you're at Boston, Oak covering the tech beat, you're talking about early stage startups in the city, you're helping hone a, a really important part of the narrative that's going to help this company really communicate their intentions to the market. And that's a big responsibility. That's what I try to do, yeah. at least. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's really cool. Um, one of the things that is always fun to get to discuss a bit is sort of what you like to do outside of journalism. Mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised to see that that your favorite thing to do outside journalism is Kindle. I'm curious what you're reading I know, right now. <laughs> I know that it's not. Um, it's an, it doesn't sound like an interesting answer because the other word, uh, the other the other obvious uh, word for uh, for this question uh, was reading. But I wanted to be a little more specific and say that I'm actually a Kindle addicted. And uh, I, um, the last book that I just, uh, I have, uh, I have a really soft spot for uh, detective and crime stories. So I just finished uh, uh, the word is murder by Anthony Horowitz, mm. and uh, I think it's really innovative uh, as uh, as a detective, as a mystery story. Mm-hmm. And um, is it fiction or not fiction? Is it is it fiction? <laughs> That's a really good question, okay. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. So. Um, uh, so the author is actually part of the story, and he describes the events uh, as uh, he was there at any time, like uh, like the Watson uh, to the Sherlock Holmes uh, in place. Interesting. And uh, so actually, the, the the question is: it fiction? Yes, it is fiction, but it doesn't sound like fiction at all. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Um, do, you mentioned this isn't something we necessarily covered in the. One word answers, but you've mentioned audio and like podcasting a bit, like that you're not into... podcasting, but okay. actually radio journalism. Radio journalism. Radio journalism so yes. I'd be curious, mm-hmm. like right now, and you mentioned um, like some of the most innovative radio journalism has been some of the crime radio journalism, mm-hmm. like the Crime Town, which mm-hmm. was done locally yes. out of Providence, and kind of mm-hmm. opened my eyes up to that. Guys like Whitey Bulger from Boston were reporting out to the the guys mm-hmm. in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, but just curious, like, what are some of the what's some of the most innovative radio journalism you're seeing out of NPR or others right now? That well, I, I I'm really partial, I have to say, and uh, uh, so NPR has a really special place uh, in my heart and in my in my earbuds <laughs> all, all the times. So my really my favorite one is uh, uh, the business show of NPR. It's um, oh my god, I can't come with the, with a word right now. All things considered. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is it a newer one? Yes. Uh, it's uh, well. I love. Yeah. I'll tell you. La- I'll tell yeah. you about that yeah. later. But I. Mm, I really think it's one of the best out there. 
Cool. Mm -hmm. We can always click right back into that. Mm -hmm. um, curious if it's worth double clicking on Washington, D.C., and, and we talked a bit about... Box. It has to do yeah. with the fact that, yeah. uh, as I said before, um, NPR is a really special place yeah. in my art. So I probably, yeah. um, I have to, I should say this about about D.C. I know it's, uh, to me, looks a really as a really federal city mm -hmm. in a really, sometimes it's, an, I mean, I, I love Boston, but I mean, Washington D.C. Is, is the kind of place where you go to a corner, and at the corner there's always a restaurant, a bank, uh, and uh, uh, an, an hotel. And you, it happens in every corner of D.C. Like it's always like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a little impersonal. I don't want to trash talk D.C. Yeah. because actually I had one of the, the best times yeah. of my life there. But I I feel that Boston has much more personal feeling to me. Cool. Maybe because I'm from Europe, uh, yeah. and I kind of feel at home here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as we covered in the answers, it's it, one of the issues with Boston, but honestly, all cities is just it's expensive. I don't, I'm curious it's if expensive. you see. Yeah. Do you see any in just specific to Boston, but could be more generally? Do you see any civic innovation needs coming, or, or there's certain? It seems to me there's a civic innovation need where mm -hmm. kids are. When I graduated college in 2007 with all the student loans I had, I was able to get and share an apartment with a bunch of my friends and, and have $400 a month rent. Mm -hmm. I don't think $400? You said $400? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. That is... four zero zero. Right. <laughs> now, I look at the prices now, and I would have been living back at home for a few years. I wouldn't... All these... I start thinking of all the things I wouldn't have experienced mm -hmm. and all the... How you propel forward in this life is your ability to put yourself in in situations around successful people. And it seems to me the disparity between people with money and people without money is, is growing larger. And so my concern with Boston is my same concern with any city, which is that the accessibility of Boston mm -hmm. for people to live in Boston and and co-mingle mm -hmm. with successful people is there's a it's a high barrier for entry. I think it's even worse that what you're saying because you said you made this difference between people who have the money and people who don't have money. The thing is, uh, I mean, reality is much more layered. There are people who have uh, I don't know two. There are people who have five. People who have ten and people who have fifty and people who have one hundred. The thing is that even if you have 50 in Boston, you cannot, <laughs> I mean, afford the rent or you cannot uh, uh, actually have um, buy your groceries and pay your bills. So the thing is that it's not a difference between people who have the money and people who don't have the money. Because even if you have a little money or even more than a little, it's uh, the life here is quite expensive. Yeah. <laughs> do you see or do you have any sense of civic innovation solutions to that? A hard question. That's a uh, meta question. Uh, it's, well, uh, that's probably because we're having this conversation right now. To be honest with you, I'm glad uh, that Amazon HQ2 didn't arrive in Boston because, and I've read all the comments uh, about the stories that we published uh, on Boston about Amazon HQ2 and all the comments were like, uh, Thank God that mm -hmm. they stay away from here because the cost of living is so much, uh, it's already out of control. That's mm -hmm. the um, chief complaint for the New York yes, office. The, yes. Everyone, mm -hmm. all the locals are really worried about the cost mm -hmm. of living going up. Mm -hmm. and a yes, lot of blue collar people so. are like, and they get, where do we get pushed to now? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a particular issue.
Um, let's let's talk about Boston. Other things you love about Boston. You mentioned one of your favorite things about Boston is bricks. I imagine the brownstones. The, the beautiful it is, arch- uh, it architecturally, is. it's a beautiful city. It is, uh, and uh, I mean, there's um, there's also what I call the uh, um, I call it a, Cam- a Cambridge shade. So there's a particular time in. Uh, uh, in the afternoon, usually between uh, 3 and 4 in the morning, uh, and it happens at uh, any season, but specifically in the fall. And there's this, uh, uh, it's almost, it's a, it's a really peculiar shade. It's a mix of uh, orange, uh, red, uh, and brown. That's, it's usually when uh, um, sunlight hits the bricks in Cambridge. And that's a, a wonderful color. I haven't, I have never seen it anywhere, and I call it the Cambridge shade because it's a really peculiar and cool. made me think about Cambridge and Boston and by extension all the time. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is Cambridge where you call home? Where what, what part? No, of Boston I live in Fenway. Yeah. I live in Fenway, so I know a lot about crazy expensive mm-hmm. rents. <laughs> and uh, uh, are you in one of the new buildings around I Fenway am. Park? Yeah. I am, and uh, uh, I was not here uh, four years ago, but lots of people told me that the, I mean, the gentrification of the area has been uh, uh, amazing and incredible to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When I was going to school at Boston University and lived in Kenmore Square a little bit, and that whole area where those buildings are, one of the apartment buildings that Shirley mm-hmm. are in, just none of it was there, um, and it's actually quite nice area to go and hang out it is there's good coffee, <laughs> good coffee. we also have uh, and that's what what it's almost the milestone of gentrification which is the yoga studio oh, where, yes. yes when uh, when a neighbor gets a yoga studio it means you're done i mean yeah. you're, you're in you made it yeah and we we have uh, i think uh, two or three so that's that's a that's a milestone that's a sign that yeah. the area is uh, i mean it's it's really livable there are lots of coffee shops uh, and Targets, supermarkets, it's a really nice area if you don't have a car and uh, you have to do your thing, your things uh, and going out only by walking. And as a European, I mean, I love to do it that way. Yeah, it's the biggest thing that people always enjoy who come to Boston in my in my life. I always comment on how walkable the city is. It is, and that's one of the, um, probably one of the things that made me feel really at home in Boston because uh, Boston has... Uh, a city center, which most American cities don't have. You, it's a walkable city, so you can do your your things just using public transportation. And uh, um, well, of course, the history of the, of the city, of course, it, it speaks yeah. for itself. Yeah, cool. So, um, one couple couple final things I wanted to go over. Yeah. Um, one was a, one was a fun one, which was what would you change about Boston? And you <laughs> you, you said latitude. <laughs> Which I can't disagree with. So, what, what what's the latitude in Tuscany? <laughs> it's uh, definitely uh, lower than <laughs> than Boston's. So, um, well, that's uh, probably because we're having this conversation on uh, the first day we have snow in Boston. We are prepared. <laughs> and actually, another question that you asked me uh, was about the similarities uh, uh, between. Uh, Chicago and Boston, uh, and at that time when I answered that question, uh, I thought about uh, how all of those, uh, there are many levels of uh, development in those cities, that's a similarity, and I used uh, the word layers uh, mm-hmm. to answer. I realize right now the layers uh, could uh, uh, also refer to layers of clothing, clothing. yes, <laughs> which is a similarity between Boston and Chicago, yeah. where I also studied. 
So, That's a good point. Yeah. In, in Boston and Chicago, I, I, I've recently moved back from Los Angeles, so I'm being reminded of the importance of a shell layer. Yes. So I have a flannel uh, <laughs> on, or not a flannel, I have like one of those, um, what do you call this, like a waffle shirt. Um, but I have a long sleeve warm shirt on. And then I have a Timberland like pullover shell, internal mm-hmm. shell, and then I have a jacket. Yes. So and, you're ready for everything. Yeah. Right. So you and gotta it have it takes a while to get to yeah. get outside. Think, yeah, <laughs> about three layers usually gets it done. Um and you have, you have to consider, you have to factor that time in your commute, I think. Yeah. Getting yeah. ready to go outside. Yeah. I loved your answer to the last question about what problem you see facing the world that you'd like to see solved. You said waste. Waste. I, I mean, I should say about, uh, since this is uh, a little bit about myself, I'm a really annoying person when it comes to waste and recycling. I'm really, I'm really nuts. I hate when people maybe throw uh, the plastic bottle in any containers to say in a home. I, what does, I, don't, I don't care. It's just a plastic bottle with that attitude. So I'm really, I'm really annoying. I'm sorry. I, it's, it's just the way I am, the way I am. And uh, um, it happens with food. It, happen, it happens with... Uh, um, with plastic, it happens. It happens with paper a lot because even though I'm a Kindle nut, uh, I still don't think that we should waste paper. And uh, it happens with all those uh, the things that I use. I mean, I, I my husband likes to say that I'm stingy that I don't like to to buy new things because I always consume the things at, until the very end. But it's actually because of the fact that I do it because I'm like a, I have those things. I have to make the good use of them because. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, not because I spent my money on them, but because uh, they're good and I want to use it until it lasts. That's, <laughs> that's really interesting. One of the mm-hmm. one of the few things, and, and this isn't to say that Bostonians don't recycle as much as folks in Los Angeles, but one of the things that I most what? took away from Los Angeles that seems to me is particularly strong vis-a-vis the rest of the country, having spent a lot of time in a lot of cities, People in LA, especially, I, mean, I was in the bubble on the west side, Venice mm-hmm. Beach, Santa Monica. No one wants to use plastic. Mm-hmm. That's like, they're, they're, everyone there is reusing coffee cups at their coffee shops. Mm-hmm. No one even wants plastic straws. And it's like, you go to offices, whether you're going to Fox or full screen or big media companies or just startups or just fabric media. Mm-hmm. But, if you walk into my office and you have a plastic bag mm-hmm. in Venice, our CEO flips out. <laughs> Why do you have that plastic bag? Yeah. Bring it back. You don't be the person that took that plastic well, actually, bag. Speaking <laughs> of plastic bags, uh, I, there was probably uh, a moment when I experienced a really huge cultural difference between Europe and the U.S. So, and it was when uh, the first time that I went to grocery shopping in a supermarket in the U.S. and. Uh, um, the cashier put have all my groceries in a double plastic bag. And I Why? I don't need all this plastic. <laughs> Why? And, and I it caused say, you double the pain? Yeah. I mean, it was really painful to watch. But at, at, at that time, I was like, maybe that's the way they do it. So I don't want to to come to the new country and say, hey, we shouldn't do, we, you shouldn't use all this plastic because that would be annoying. I mean, I'm in the U.S., so I want to be... And, respectful of course and of the American US way but when it was putting grocery in all those uh, double plastic uh, uh, layers I was like no 
I don't need this. Please, please See? stop. Please stop. And then I went home with all this plastic. And I was like, I should find a way to use this plastic. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, then you then you find secondary uses for it so that you can yes. get, so get value. That's why yeah. they actually I still have a plastic bag in my in my purse because I I don't want to throw it out and because I'm worried about the, the singles or somewhere that could come into this specific specific plastic bags. And I'm like I should I don't know I just I'm just taking it for me yeah. with me. I I don't know maybe I'll find something. Well, this has been a pleasure. Me, for me too. For me Lucy, too. I, I really appreciate it. Thank I, you. I appreciate the uh, the new the the new the newfound friendship, and I look forward to um, you know what the what the years um, what the years have in store into the future. Do you see yourself in, in Boston for for some time? I'd love to stay. I'd love to stay. Yeah, uh, it doesn't entirely depend on me, but I'd love to stay in the city. Yes. Of course. Well, it's wonderful to have you in Boston. I'm so happy about the experience your mother had here. (laughs) And uh, looking forward to the next conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Lucy. Been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care. Mm